Welcome to Tandy Unplugged. And maybe we should start with saying, uh, Andy and I have been teamed up so much on projects that we now just go by one name. It's just easier. <laughs> it is much easier. And you can reach us at Tandy at <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tandy Unplugged. I will take lead since that's normally how things happen here. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm Andy Duhon, I'm the West African Project uh, Manager. and I'm Terrell Chandler, and I manage projects in Asia Pacific. Yeah. Today, we are going to introduce ourselves, give our background, um, talk about why we came to SOA and what we do here at Spirit of America. Uh, what we like about our region. Yeah, we thought it would be a fun idea to kind of give you guys like a look behind the scenes. Um, we know that you see like the projects that we do with blogs and project pages and stuff like that. But like Andy said, talk about uh, some of the things we experience while we travel. And uh, recently we've been working in other regions a lot. So um, it's fun to see how everything's interconnected and how we all end up working together regardless of where our region is. And then Learning about other regions is also really exciting, for me at least. All right, first, you so you want to kind of tell us about your background? Yeah, definitely. So I first worked with Spirit of America back in Afghanistan in 2014 when I was in uniform. Um, so I was deployed there with uh, Nicolette Parrish, who uh, is our Latin America project manager. We are part of CST team, the cultural support teams that uh, attached to special forces and went out with them and then engaged the female population like I don't you know help better inform some of the operations in Afghanistan and that's where I met Chris Cleary who was the on-the-ground Spirit of America rep um, he kind of gave us a spiel about how Spirit of America worked and the organization and honestly initially I thought like this sounds too good to be true and when you come into Afghanistan you get a lot of briefs and so I kind of just put it in the back of my mind I didn't think anything of it um, and then we were out in a province and some of the guys that we were working with wanted to donate some medical uh, supplies to a clinic that was in need. With government funding we couldn't get them in time to get out and do the mission while we were there and so I was like you know what I'm gonna call this Chris Cleary guy and see what Spirit of America is all about. So had a great conversation with Chris, Nicolette and I worked really closely with him and then within like two and a half three weeks we got all these medical supplies that really gave us an opportunity to go out and engage with the local population there. And uh, that's when I first became a Spirit of America believer. So after I got out, I was like, I have to work for this organization. And I guess the rest is history. It's been about a year now. Well, since I'm driving this ship, like this is a little <laughs> Navy joke. Uh, why did you say what branch of the military you were in since you forgot that? Oh, there we go. Yes. Yeah. So I was <laughs> and still am in the U.S. Navy. I'm now a reservist. All right. Great. Well, I, too, was in the Navy once, uh, like T, but um, <laughs> before I came to Spirit of America, I had switched over to the Army, uh, where I was an officer in uh, the Civil Affairs Program, where I, too, got to work with uh, Spirit of America. I did a project with Chris Van Johnson back in 2016, I think it was, and we helped create a forest ranger program that did anti-poaching in the middle of Mali. Um, it was a pretty unique project that's actually still ongoing, and it was really important to the ambassador. The forest rangers were protecting the last 300 desert elephants that are alive. Uh, working with civil affairs is a natural fit with Spirit America because uh, many times we're trying to get out to the local population, and the only way we can do that is through the unique support that SOA provides. So that's how I uh, began my relationship with SOA. And then seeing that the kind of the end of my military career was on the horizon, I started reaching out and saying, "This is I want to keep doing the job that I was doing in uniform, but as a civilian, and that's why I came over to SOA. Uh, the question I have for you, T, is about the field team. So it seems like it, it must be a unique place to work. I feel like it's a unique place to work. I don't, maybe you have some insight, because everybody has such like, a different background. Like, I was Army. Yeah, definitely. You know, people are infantry, special forces. I mean, do you find that, like, 
fun place to work? Is that challenging? Uh, I would say both. It's definitely fun. We've got a great group of people here and tons of different backgrounds, like you said. And People think you're in the military, so you all must know the same stuff, but there's so many things you can do different in the military, and the branches are different, So, and the lingo's definitely different. You know, if I had a nickel for every acronym that the services had, we could fund all of our projects. <laughs> do, do you see any personality clashes with the field team, because we are so mm, diverse? Besides me and you? Yeah, besides <laughs> me, like, I'm kind of loud and maybe talk a lot in the office. Some people are more reserved. I wouldn't say clashes. No, not at all. I think we complement each other well. I think it's easy to team up because even though we might not have the same kind of background or regional expertise, uh, I think we realize the impact that our projects make when we're working with like various um, other members of the service, you know. So it's a real fun environment. We laugh a lot. Sometimes there's some people that are like too fun and you're like, oh man, I wish I had more time to get my work done. And that's normally when you turn to your headphones. <laughs> exactly. But that's what headphones are for. Um, it's the most unique place I've ever worked. I don't think there's another place um, that gives you the same level of responsibility and autonomy. And, and I think one of the unique things like I, from our standpoint is in the military or the government, they say that they're good stewards of you know taxpayer dollars. But we saw it just with this Tandy project as far as trying to figure out the logistics of shipping soccer balls to South America, where you know the, we know that it's donor money, so we try to find the cheapest way about it. And since government is so big for everybody to be thinking about working together with all the agencies is kind of hard, so I think sometimes we act as, I guess, the mediator between them, and, you know, as teams rotate out, it's a lot. Like, you have a lot on your plate when you're deployed and a service member or a diplomat. You have, you know, these huge, complex problem sets that you're trying to deal with, so I think sometimes the benefit that we add is just by being kind of that consistent presence in some of these areas that can help tie the teams together as they rotate in and out. And we probably did a bad job, so we should probably give a backstory of what the soccer balls thing in Panama was. So the U.S. Embassy identified a, a great need for um, support from Spirit of America, and we jumped on it pretty much instantly from a relationship that you built with the U.S. Ambassador. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We had a really good relationship with the U.S. Ambassador to um, Mongolia, who's now in D.C., um, and she was kind enough to link us up with the Sports Envoy um, program with the State Department because she felt that we'd be a natural fit working with them as they, you know, tackle these very hard diplomatic missions all around the world. So with that introduction, it kind of led to this project about soccer balls and places with vulnerable populations and how the U.S. embassies, you know, and the whole teams there use them for outreach to these communities to try and build community and really help the vulnerable population, things like that. You can actually read about it on our website now because we were changing the game. We were changing the game. I wrote a beautiful piece on our website. You did, yeah. But also, uniquely enough, um, getting the soccer balls down to Panama and tying in the U.S. Coast Guard I thought was um, pretty exciting. Yeah, I thought so too. And it was actually a suggestion um, by the folks that we were working with at the embassy. I mean... 900 soccer balls produces kind of a big amount of freight, so boxes upon boxes. Um, and we were kind of trying to figure out and work through logistics of getting them down to the embassy. Like, how do we get them there? And none of us are like, you know, logistical masterminds, and every project is kind of like different, and you have to figure it out as you go. So the U.S. Embassy said, hey, the Coast Guard is coming down this way. If you got them on this Coast Guard ship, yeah. they could drop them off. And it was kind of just a, an awesome collaborative partnership that shows, like, Working together, I mean, really can bring a project to full. 
And I think that's something fun about being on Team Tandy is working in so many different embassies and countries, not just our region, like not just Africa, is seeing that every embassy handles logistical support differently, right? So some embassy might be open to you shipping 900 soccer balls, which would be like 50 boxes to their embassy, where other mail rooms and embassies might say, we can't do that. So each each country is just so different. And, you know, by expanding our, our work to other other regions, you kind of get to learn the intricacies of the embassies and how things work. Yeah, I think I was telling you earlier, like, one of the most exciting things about working in another region is just to see how really intertwined, like, the problem sets are, too. Yeah, right. So, I think that's exciting. What would you say is something that draws you to your region? I think we have very different stories. So, Paycom chose you, right? Definitely. Now, Indo-Paycom. Indo-Paycom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of chose me. My heart has always been kind of in Afghanistan because that's where my background is. So... When I started interviewing for Spirit of America, I knew the mission, and I obviously knew the mission in Afghanistan really well. And because of my previous relationship, you know, with Nicolette being on a team together and being friends, I heard a lot about Latin America also. But to be honest, I hadn't really ever worked in the Indo-PACOM region. So the skill sets, I guess, that I brought as a project manager from other areas were what I applied to it. But as I got to know the people and the problem sets in the area, like I've really just fallen in love with it. The region obviously has like conflict going on, um, like austere environments. It has like strong diplomatic mission in different areas. And like every country you go to is a little bit different. And the people overall are just wonderful everywhere that I've traveled. I think that's what you learn when you travel. Like people are generally, in my opinion, just pretty great. And you get to see different cultures and kind of work with different teams that have different missions as well, which is exciting. You know, working with a civil affairs team isn't going to be the same as working with the Marines that are on the ground in places. And it's not going to be the same as working with Department of State folks. So it's cool to see everybody's missions and how they all fall into the big picture, I think. Right. And and similar with me, my first love actually was the Middle East. Um, When I went to the Ohio State University, (laughs) I was a Middle East uh, studies major with foreign policy. Um, And that's how I kind of stumbled on Africa. And from there, I just fell in love with the region. Um, And then I chose to go to special operations. Uh, I chose French because I wanted to go to Africa. So the last five years, I've been pretty much too focused on Africa. My wife would say it's pretty annoying because I just read African news and try to learn as much about the areas I can. I'm also not allowed to buy any more souvenirs from West Africa because our whole house is full of them. Um, But I really, really do love the region. And I think the thing that drew me the most to Africa, especially West Africa, because I don't want to put it all in like one, say Africa is one country, but the West African people are just so wonderful to work with. They're they're just happy and they're eager to be with you and they want to talk with you and share with you. And it was just so different from working in other regions of the world when I was in the military. And it was just the excitement they brought to each thing I did while I was in uniform or now with Spirit of America just makes you happy to be helping these people. And that, I think that's what, what made me fall in love with the, the culture, that and the language. I mean, yeah. since you're so passionate about, you know, Africa and specifically West Africa, like you said, that's where you've been working and had your heart set for the past, like, five years. So I'm sure you're able to give, you know, like, inputs to teams that are on the ground and really work together with them. So I guess what are the issues that you see when you're working, you know, with teams? Like what big problems are they trying to tackle? What's the overarching goal of our work that we're doing in West Africa, would you say? Well, I think West, 
not just DOD, but U.S. government, U.S. embassies, is a lack of economic opportunity. Uh, just recently, we were listening to a uh, talk on CAR, the Central Africa Republic, and there's kids that have never had a job, or 18 years old, and they will never have a job. So how do we combat that there is no economic opportunity and stop that leading into violent recruitment? Because it's, it's an easy pick for somebody from, when you look at Boko Haram, AQIM, ISIS, in these regions, uh, they're easily they're able to recruit these children early on because they, they see no hope in their future. So what the teams are doing is providing some chance of, of a life for these people through uh, the various projects that we're doing. And I think we'll, we'll touch on them in a little bit, but we're doing solar projects where they're learning to be like solar tech engineers, providing them birth certificates so they can vote and actually get an education so then they can have a job. So I think that's, I mean, that's the biggest issue driving uh, factors in West Africa. Yeah, so one of the... Um big exercises that we support every year is uh, Flintlock. You want to talk a little bit about that and how so that kind of gets after the problem set of recruitment and all the things you're just talking about? Right. So Flintlock is a sponsored exercise each year with West African nations by SOCOM. That's the Special Operations Command. Uh, and they bring in multiple countries, uh, Senegal, Niger, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, I think there's a few other, I think 16 nations altogether, West African nations altogether partake in this. And it's a way that the militaries can learn to work together and start combating violent extremists. And uh, for the last five years, SOA has been a part of providing um, funds or programming that helps uh, Flintlock get beyond just an exercise with the military, but outreaching the civilian populations where they're doing the exercise yeah, at. Definitely. And I think that's the first project that we officially teamed up on. Africa is where Tandy was created. Um, so to be honest, I was vaguely familiar with Flintlock because it's not my region and I don't have a lot of history or background um, with the whole African uh, problem set or areas. So last year, we supported the inaugural uh, Women, Peace, and Security Symposium that they did um, in correlation with Flintlock. And it went off so well. Um, and it was in Chad last year and this year they were doing it in Niger and it went really well just uh, you know bringing women prominent women in the community bringing women that were involved in security in the region to talk about how can we get you know women involved in the peace process and how can we really make a more I guess like a combined approach like let's get everybody involved in the conversation because then you end up tackling every aspect of the problem when you talk about peace and security and long-term stability you know, everybody needs to have a voice in that conversation. Um, so the first conference went really, really well that they brought it back to Niger this year. So I was, I was really lucky to go down and participate in that conference and really meet um, just some amazing women and, and men that are um, all about, you know, a collaborative effort and everybody, you know, having a seat at the table when it comes to long-term stability in a region and security initiatives. And there were some worries that Flintlock might not be able to happened this year because it was going to take place in Niger, and as many people know, uh, four U.S. servicemen were just killed in Tango Tango in an attack. So um, the resiliency of the West African countries, especially Niger, to be able to still pull off Flintlock, I think, is a testament to uh, them moving forward. The, uh, kind of moving out of Flintlock, but still Africa, this being your first Africa trip, did anything really stick out <laughs> uh, during your travels? Travel to any foreign country is always interesting, especially to one that you've never been to before. So like I said, I was 
excited to come to Niger. I really didn't know much about it except for what I've been like reading in the news and you know obviously we all keep each other informed about our regions but we also all have a lot going on so you know to be sucked into West Africa the way that you are that's probably never gonna happen for me. <laughs> Um, I did notice that the heat is drier there, which I appreciated. And not so swampy? The humidity in Southeast Asia is pretty great sometimes. Which is probably a reason why I should not go to that region, because I'm a very sweaty person, as the office normally likes to point out. (laughs) I think the culture there was just wonderful, and like you said, the people were so nice, and they really do, they care about, you know, their community and their area. Some of the food is a little different than what I'm used to. Like, like sun-baked goat's milk? Sun-baked goat milk. It's delicious. Uh, teed with a nice mint tea is the yeah. best way to have your goat milk. But the hospitality that the people have was wonderful. Um, and getting to see their culture and meet their families and really participate in Flintlock as a whole. And then just to walk around Naomi was kind of great to see all the street vendors and... Um, like, we experience rush hour here in D.C., of course, all the time, but they experience rush hour with, like, camels and, <laughs> you know, and, like, carts and then mixed in with cars. Like, I haven't been driving down the 395 and seen a camel yet, but it's, <laughs> you never know. So just seeing that culture is awesome. Um, with you traveling so much, is there something that you won't travel without? I just went on a trip. And people that were with me make fun of me because they say I have a Mary Poppins bag. They'll be like, hey, do you have a lighter? And I'm like, yep, of course I have it. Do you have chapstick or whatever it is that they ask for? I tend to always have it in my bag. So I've gotten in the habit of making like a pretty extensive list. Like I won't travel without baby wipes is the most important thing. Like if I could take one thing on a trip, it would be baby wipes. Yeah, I mean, I think baby wipes are pretty important because you never know when you'd be stuck in the airport for 18 hours. And that's your only means of showering. It happens more often than you think. Um, I always bring one set of extra my... clothes in my bag because uh, a lot of times traveling in West Africa, your bag will get lost. So you're, you're, you're going to have to have another pair of clothes. I agree. I don't know why extra clothes is never a thing that's in my bag, though. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I'll add it. Do you have a funny travel story that you want to share with the viewers? Best. This is unplugged, so we got to get real here. I think our uh, our social media team and our associates over here are going to be like, why did we agree to let them talk about whatever they wanted? This was a horrible idea. Not best travel story, but just recently um, flying into Cote d'Ivoire. They have a new flight coming in from the U.S. So I was on the first flight they ever had from the U.S. straight into Cote d'Ivoire. And when I got there, I said, so I had a, a, a connecting flight. It said, connecting flights this way. So I go up and I said, well, where's my next gate? And the lady said, oh, I don't know. We've never done this before. You're the first one. And this is all in French, which my French is good enough to get me in trouble, but not good enough to, like, really go <laughs> forward. So I'm talking to her, and she goes, you probably should go try to see if your bag is somewhere here in the airport. I was like, well, it's, isn't it supposed to go connecting straight on to the next flight? She goes, yeah, but you're the first one. So there's no way they know how to get your bag to the next place. So I go to find my bag, and then I have to leave, but I don't have a visa. So then now you're talking with police about trying to find your bag. <laughs> and like, you have to like bring the airport security over. And I think, like, not fun and exciting, but that's just like one of the difficulties of flying into places that many Americans or Europeans don't go. It's like, yeah. and you just have to be patient and calm, and just realize you're going to get there and it's going to happen. Just do your best, because there. I mean, there was other. There was like four people behind me. One guy was screaming like. 
where's my bag? I'm supposed to be going to my next country. I'm like, man, just calm down. Like, you're not going to help out the situation. Yeah. I have grown my patience so much just working at this job in general. It's cool for, like, the audience to hear, you know, because all they see is, like, a picture of us in the office working and then in all these countries doing things. And, you know, getting to some of these places is sometimes half half the amount of work as it is just doing projects in these places. And, I mean, you know. when Nick G and I were flying to Agadez in northern Niger, we had to sit in a room for five and a half hours. It was 116 degrees, and there was no AC. And But there was a room on the other side, like a box-in room with AC, but we couldn't go into that until an hour before our flight. So just kind of dealing with it, like, it's part of the travel. I, I enjoy it because it kind of makes a fun story, and, like, being miserable brings you closer to the people that you travel with. It does. Misery loves company. Well, we want to thank you for listening to Tandy Unplugged and listening to our stories. Yeah, I would say leave comments about what you want to hear about. You see kind of the official side on the website about what we're doing, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and we're happy to chat about it. Thanks a lot to our social media people who agreed to let us do this. This will not be the last you hear from Tandy, that's for sure.